Welcome to the Raw's Project, a podcast covering no bullshit, 100% real, raw, and unfiltered rags to riches stories from amazing human beings around the world with emphasis on life, personal development, family, tech, and marketing. I'm your host, Ivan Temelkov. I hope you weren't expecting anybody else. And today I am joined by Karen Seltz. Is that correct? Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. How are you, Karen? Welcome to the show. I am awesome. Thanks, Ivan. It's so much fun to be on a platform where I don't have to censor myself. Right? Right. Absolutely. Well, hold on to that thought for a second because I want to I introduce you to the viewers and listeners. Tell them a little bit about your backstory and then we're going to like unpack all of this because there's so much to unpack here. So Karen Seltz, uh, let's see, M-E-D, a.k.a. The Uncensored Self-Love Coach helps people fully embrace every part of themselves and gain the freedom to create meaningful, vibrant lives they're passionate about. Karen has triumphed over depression, sex addiction, lack of self-worth, low self-confidence, and playing small by doing the deep inner work that she now shares with her clients. Her higher calling is to be a loving interruption to the disempowering stories, beliefs, and patterns her clients have held that have kept them stuck. One of her greatest gifts is her ability to see the hidden beauty and possibility in people and mirror it back to them until they can see it for themselves. Though these insights, her clients are able to release the things that no longer serve them, accept the truth about themselves, and fully step into their power and gifts in a whole new empowered and embodied way. Karen is a highly attuned, intuitive, badass, and speaker of truth, has a master's degree in counseling and a certified life coach and brain gym consultant with over 25 years combined years of experience. You're just a natural badass. You were just <laughs> born a natural badass. Like that's what I'm reading. And so let's, Let's start off with, you know, I want to go, I want to take things back a little bit and, and kind of paint the story to everything that you've been through to what you're doing today and why you're doing it today. But let's go way, way, way back to like your childhood and early days. Let, let's share a little bit about, you know, your story. And uh, you've also done stand up comedy. So I wonder where that fits in um, as well. So tell us a little bit about your early days. What was that like? Yeah, thanks, Ivan. I grew up in a rural town in Michigan. I was the youngest of three children, two older brothers, so only girl. And it, it's really fascinating. I grew up thinking that being a girl or girly meant you were weak and showing any type of vulnerability would get like a snake in my bed, right? If I show that I was afraid mm -hmm. of a snake, it would be in my bed that night. So I grew up wearing masks to keep myself safe. I didn't cry. If I got hurt, I never cried. And to this day, I don't cry from physical pain. Interesting tidbit. <laughs> mm -hmm. But just feeling less than. And then I also got this message from my dad that women were only good for one thing. And I internalized that. And that came into play later on in life, as you will note in my story. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So that was your early childhood. So at what point did you, I mean, so depression, low self-esteem, 
were there early signs of all of this, like in your early childhood? Like when did this all start? I would say not really. I was such a good actress. Mm -hmm. I was the, the class clown. I was the comedian and trying to cover up my pain and those feelings like I am not good enough. And if anybody finds out who I really am and what I really think about myself, I won't have a friend in the world and I will be alone. So inside, yeah, I was sad, mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I would say my late twenties, I got into a car accident. And at that point I was extremely physical. And if you ask me what I like to do, I like to run, play tennis, lift weights, box. Every single thing was tied up in my physicality. And this accident caused me to be in physical pain, even if I was just sitting up. I mean, I could yeah. do nothing except lie down. And I got extremely depressed. And that was my first like identity crisis, like, who am I? And that was in my 20s. Oh, wow. So what was... So what was going through your mind? I mean, obviously depression settled in, you know, after that car accident and you know, how did you cope with that? I mean, were there certain things that really kind of helped you, you know, escape that, that dark state? I mean, let's talk, let's talk about that because obviously it was a traumatic experience. And I think, you know, anytime as human beings, we, we suffer a traumatic experience, we tend to kind of cave in, so to speak, and just like isolate ourselves from the rest of the world and you know the dark thoughts settle in right so how did you how did you how did you cope with that how were you able to get past that so you can move on to you know move on with your life because you were very very active right like you said you you played i mean you were you, you were like you said you were the class clown you know i'm thinking of someone who's like always doing something cracking jokes you know like to play tennis so like how did you let, let's talk about the mindset, you know, after the accident and and how did you work through that? Yeah, it's really interesting because I did get on antidepressants for the first time in my life. I probably could have used them before that. And <laughs> but I remember like having a conversation with my mom and trying to I mean, I was suicidal. I was a mess. Wow. And her saying, you better get your act together. or Your husband's going to leave you. I mean, that was as much compassion as she could muster. And I remember like just being like, like a punch in the gut. Yeah. And thinking, you know, like I, I am like, at that point I was a human doing. And what I mean by that is like, I proved I'm worthy of your love because look at all these things I do for you. Look at how I make yeah. you feel. Yeah. <clears throat> and I never looked inward. And at that point, the thing that matched my level of depression was Chinese movies. And so I escaped by watching all these depressing Chinese movies. Yeah. And eventually, you know, this was back in the day when you could go rent videos or DVDs. I remember those. Yeah. Blockbuster. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Eventually I found this art class and I started to express myself through art. And that was a whole new facet that I never knew existed. And I never mm -hmm. would have found had it not been for my physical limitations. Yeah. So that was one way. And Interesting. from there, you know, go ahead. Well, which, which part of art? I mean, was it, was it like actual painting art type of art or what kind of art were you, did you get into? Yeah, that was mainly what I did was art. Okay. It, it's, 
fascinating. Like the first things that I painted were like twisted bodies that were all like red and fiery. And it's really interesting if you look at it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was your way of basically like escaping depression, right? Like you just, you know, and that's a very challenging thing because, you know, uh, I can relate a little bit to that. You know, I'm one of those people that, uh, I did not want to admit that I was depressed or stressed or that I had anxiety. Like there were nowhere near the severe levels of other people that I've surrounded myself with. But the reality of things, we're human beings. So, you know, we do get depressed. We do get stressed. I mean, fuck with everything that's going on in the world right now. It's like, how can you not be depressed? You know, how can you not be stressed, stressed out? I mean, a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people losing jobs and so on and so forth. So, you found a way to to escape that depression. Well, treat the depression. You didn't escape it. You treated the the depression by by turning uh, to art. But then there's a couple other things here that that I want to hear more of. Is so as you're working on this art, trying to to cope through through depression, work through it. Okay, so there's sex addiction, low self esteem. Where where did that where did that come in? Let's spend some time talking about that because let's face it. I think a lot of people don't think that sex addiction is really a thing, believe it or not. So we'd love to hear your thoughts, you know, on like, how did that happen? And and how did you work through that? And what part of your life was that in? Yeah, that didn't come into play. I would say as an addictive thing where it was mm -hmm. becoming a problem until much later. And it was after I had my second child which was way after this car accident and all that good stuff. Right. And she was born with a bunch of medical issues and she was about to have a surgery. And I had a nanny. I only worked two days a week, but I had a nanny that I fully relied on and I counted on her and I trusted her and she quit with no notice. And it triggered these abandonment issues that I didn't even know that I had. Yeah. And I was a mess. And she was about to, my daughter, have this major skull surgery, like where they took a, like half of her skull out of her head and wow. I was freaking out. And I went for a massage. And at that time, uh, my ex-husband was drinking a lot to escape his issues. And we were just not connecting on any level, especially not physically, if right. you know what I mean. And I wasn't, at that time, I just had lost my sex drive. And prior to that, I had a very high sex drive. So anyways, I went for a massage and I got a man. And this almost the second he touched me, all of those feelings like came back like, whoop, hello. Yeah. And so I just started being inappropriate with him. And then wow. we had a relationship in the place. I mean, it's a regular massage place. And right. then outside of it, we developed a relationship physical. Right. Well, you know, as you were talking about that, too, is this, you know, uh, losing that sex drive, you know, I think in modern day in marriages, that's a very common problem is because especially now with the state of everything is it's very challenging. You know, it actually take it does take work, you know, to uh, to work through those things, to have the physical attraction, because it's in part the physical attraction because it happens because of emotion and feeling. So when you don't have those you know, emotions and feelings when, you know, you can't sit down with your significant other, with your, with your wife, with your husband and have a conversation. And so I'm such a big proponent for communication is because I think it helps solve, solve problems. And as a result, it helps you retain that physical 
attraction. I mean, let's face it. Like, I, I know some family members that were married for 50 years. I'm like, how in the fuck do you maintain a physical attraction for 50 years? I mean, you do somehow, I guess. So, you know, it makes absolute sense because you had a void. There was a void there. And I think, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. I mean, we are, we are human beings. We, we do have needs. That's the reality of it. We do, yeah. you know, but what you just said right there is what most people are unwilling to, to talk about. You know, they're unwilling to extract those issues because they're willing to go along with those issues and hope that they're going to resolve themselves. Well, that didn't happen with you. Like I said, you're, ex-husband was drinking you had a void there was no physical attraction so you went to find it elsewhere and i mean it's I actually when you think about it. i'm sorry i said i didn't even go to find it it just happened really right but it, it awoke the sleeping giant <laughs> right right well and, and so it happened right it, it happened i mean i think believe it or not this might sound cliche but in part it was meant to happen for a reason at least I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason because, you know, I mean, I'm someone who's been divorced once. So it's, it's like, I mean, I didn't think nobody in my family had ever gotten divorced, you know? So like me being the first to get divorced, it's like, no, I mean, like, like, like we don't just do that. You know, it's like, well, if you don't have compatibility, you can't, you can't force yourself, you know, with someone else. That's the reality of it, you know? And let's face it, now more than ever in a country in the United States where the divorce rate is the highest out of any country, like, that's hard to find. It's basically hard to find someone that's willing to put up with your bullshit, so to speak, and being able to work through it on top of it all. So I think that happened for a reason, like you said, woke up a sleeping giant, so to speak. But what happened after that? Because that's where things get interesting. Yeah, it, it spiraled really quickly. Like I found this sense of power that I was lacking at home because I, I felt so powerless in my life. You know, my daughter right. had all these medical issues. My ex-husband was drinking, you know, just everything. And then I discovered this power that I had over men. <laughs> And I'm like, well, this is new. I, I never had this. Like I like you talked about high school a little bit before we yeah. talked. Yeah. And you know, I was heavy in high school, so I couldn't get the guys. I was I was not I was the funny one. I was yeah. not the hot one. So, you know, later on in life I lost weight and became confident in that way. So it spiraled out of control. And I was telling you earlier before we started recording that, you know, some days I would like literally have sex with three people. Yeah. And, and it was never enough, you know, sometimes like toward the end of this, I could be in the middle of acting out with someone and panic would strike me like, when am I going to do this again? I don't have anything else planned. I'm going to die. Wow. Yeah. So here's a question for you before we unpack this some more is thinking back now, why do you, why do you think, besides the fact that obviously, you know, family life, you know, your relationship with your ex-husband wasn't really jiving, but why, why do you think, why do you think you end up, you know, you engaged in that kind of activity? Mm. Well, it, it was a lot of things. I've studied something called real love. And in this concept, there's imitation love, which comes in four forms. 
power, praise, pleasure, mm -hmm. and safety. And I really got all four of those from acting out. I felt powerful. Obviously, um, obviously I was good at it. So I got praised. <laughs> pleasure, right. that goes without saying. And then safety is interesting because for me, as long as somebody wanted me, I felt safe. I felt like I mattered. So I think I asked this question for a reason because I wanted to hear in your in your own words the reasoning behind it. And I kind of almost knew what the answers were because you said safety. And I think there was there's also acceptance there as well because and, and let's face it, you know, women manipulating men has been a tactic that's been utilized for a long time. It's about control. It's about gaining control is being able to control because a lot of women do do that to control men to get things that they want. So that's nothing new, but you said safe because I think you felt unsafe. You, you, you felt like, like, you, and you needed that. But what I'm curious to know is also, so thank you for sharing that, but why do you think that you had these panic attacks? Like you said, like you would be in the middle of an act and then like you'd get this panic attack and then you'd be like, I don't have anything else planned for the rest of the day. So you try to fill in the void with another act, right? So why do you think you were having those 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 panic attacks? All right. First, I, I want to say they weren't like full bloom panic attacks. They were like, mm -hmm. uh, because I know some people medically have them. And this is not what that is. That was like, a, just like a <gasps> shit. Now what? And because right. I think it happened at such a vulnerable time where I was literally... I can't handle my life. I'm going to kill myself if I can't escape for a little while. Yeah. I believe my subconscious mind tied it with survival. Like if I cannot escape, I'm going to have to kill myself. There are no other options. And right. you know, when I am working with clients, if they see something as black and white, right and wrong, I have two options only. That is definitely the ego mind. I mean, no question about it. The ego sees only two choices. The spirit or the unlimited mind sees infinite choices. You're not limited. It's not fear-based. It's love and it's infinite possibility. Right. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. So, um, and thank you for, for sharing that because, you know, I think again, and the reason I, I wanted to, to talk about the sex addiction is because there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't think it's real and people that actually might suffer from it is that I think that it's a way to, to curb those voids, you know, whether it's acceptance or uh, safety or uh, just likability. You know, I, I think with, with women specifically, is just that, like you said, being heavier in high school and, you know, it's like now you're in this physical shape is giving you that self-confidence and you feel like you can have control and you can have that likability by putting yourself out there. And, you know, speaking, speaking of, of high school before we had to record is it's really interesting. You said that because something got me thinking about is so back in high school, I was, you know, the Bulgarian immigrant kid who barely spoke English, you know, sitting back of the bus, uh, sitting by myself all through lunch in the cafeteria, being kicked around, being called names. I mean, Self-esteem was like at an all-time low. I thought to the point to maybe close to suicidal, literally, feeling worthless. 
And it's because now, and, and mind you spending 10 years after high school, like trying to put this past me, which I finally did because I realized I've been carrying this bag of rocks, you know, for 10 years. It's like, fuck, I even let it go and move on, you know? But something that you mentioned is that now after all this time, I came to realization that uh, it wasn't because I was worthless. It was because I was more than what others were willing to see. I mean, the only person that really needed that acceptance, that validity was me, nobody else. And so I think as we're talking about, you know, sex addiction is that there's a lot of things that you struggled with. And it was in part because you were afraid to really focus on your own identity. You were afraid on figuring out who you are, your voice, your personality, your character, because you were struggling, you know, back to the depression, your accident also in your 20s. Like, I think there were some parts also that were causing to go in. Obviously, your ex-husband, too. It's like, OK, build on the pile of shit. Right. And then this is just a way to basically vent. I mean, that's why people even start, you know, turning to alcoholics because they drink away their problems or sex addiction in your case, because it was a way to escape reality. Right. It was a way to escape reality. So how long did this I'm curious to know if you don't mind sharing, like how long did this go on? And, and as you were going through the sex addiction, low self-esteem, all of that, like, did you just wake up one day and had an epiphany and we're like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, like I need to change my life. There's more to life. Like. Let this yeah, no, no, I was a slow learner. Here's here's what happened, though. I got an STD while I was married. And so I'm like, well, okay. I pretty much have to tell him because we're still having sex at this point. Right. So I told him and uh, of course he was not pleased. He was really freaking pissed, like yeah. so angry and like punching holes in the wall, angry for the rest of the time he lived with us. And I'm like, well, I think I'm a sex addict. And I knew that I was and I started going to meetings, but I didn't yeah. want to change yet. I knew I belonged there. I resonated with these stories, but I was not ready to give it up. I'm like, I just found this. Like it, yeah. I, did, I only got to act out, got to for like a couple months before this happened. Um, so I went to meetings once a week, you know, I didn't do any step work or do anything really for a long time, like a, at least a year, but I still went to meetings. And then something happened, right? We, we reach a bottom. And this particular case, I had a key to my best friend's house. And I, I met somebody at her house and we left a condom there. And she thought her boyfriend was cheating on her. Oh, wow. And it, it nearly destroyed our friendship. And this is somebody I've been friends with like for the longest. And that was really painful. Yeah. And that was the first time I'm like, oh, there's actually a consequence to this. Mm. So but it still came back. Like I still, you know, started acting out again. It wasn't enough to stop. Right. But so there's something interesting you said. So you realize the value of your friendship with your best friend. So I, I think, and the reason I'm mentioning this is this time, I think there's, we all have significant things in our lives. You know, it's just, I think sometimes as human beings, we take them for granted. It's very easy actually to take things for granted because 
uh, and speaking for that is one thing that I personally have started to do is, is also have affirmations, which I just didn't believe in. Uh, but when I started actually, and I'm nowhere where I want to be, but starting with those affirmations actually builds that gratitude and appreciation makes you realize that, you know what, there's a lot to be thankful for. You know, there's a lot to be thankful. The, fa the fact that you woke up this morning is a major win because guess what? Somewhere across the world, someone didn't wake up. Hundreds of people, maybe thousands, tens of thousands didn't wake up. And that's the ultimate win. It's because if you don't wake the fuck up, finito, you're dead. Can't do shit. And I don't think we as human beings really truly grasp the magnitude of that. And so you realizing how much you value this friendship and how leaving a condom at her place was like, well, fuck, like that was a bad move. You know, like, was that the trigger for you that really made you realize that, oh, shit, there's consequences? Because prior to that, I don't think you really I mean, maybe you did, but like, nah, like this isn't a big deal. You know, I can do this. Was that really the thing? So it was your longtime friendship with your best friend that triggered something in your mind that made you realize that. Oh, fuck. I better get my shit straight. Was that it? Well, that was the first one. But like I said, it didn't last long. Like that addiction was in there and that survival instinct. And I had done no work mm -hmm. to realize what my triggers were. And one of them was when my daughter got sick, which was approximately every two to three weeks for real. Um, so it wasn't long before another trigger came. And I'm like, <gasps> I have to act out or I'm going to die. It did like that's the thing with addiction it's so strong it doesn't matter yeah. how much you love people how much you want to change it's got you it's got you by you know by the short hairs and, and like you're, you're powerless that's the big thing yeah so it took a while um i don't know after after i got separated from my ex-husband i started dating somebody and it, from that point i had about a three-year period where i was I'm going to call it acting out monogamously. So I wasn't cheating on anybody anymore, but I still was using sex to feel better, to get what yeah. I thought I needed, which, you know, was a bullshit story I was telling myself, but that's what was happening. And then after that, I hit like a really low bottom, like 10 months I spent acting out and I got to a point where I just hated myself and I could no longer look in the mirror. Oh, wow. And that was what it took for me. Like I had to come to that point where I, I couldn't even look at myself. I'm not kidding. So that was, that was your, your pivoting time. That was your pivoting moment. It's like when you hit that rock bottom and like, well, you know, the only way to go is up. I'm, I'm on the rock bottom. You know, you were plateaued completely, you know, at that point. So what was going through your mind though, when you hit that rock bottom? I mean, you obviously, you know, you said you, you couldn't stand looking at yourself, but I'm curious in, in hearing your line of thinking that really made you go like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm worthy. You know, I, I am a person, you know, uh, I can be happy, you know, and I don't have to do, you know, I, I don't have to use sex addiction as a way, you know, to get through my, my day. Like what, what was, how did you reach that point being at a rock bottom? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. I wish it was like that. Like I woke up and like, I'm worthy. No, that was not it. I had a sponsor 
who I was, I was still going to meetings. I mean, I was acting out like a motherfucker and I was still going to meetings, yeah. but I had lunch with my sponsor one day and I said to him, um, he was a gay man. I said, I'm in this addiction so deep that I do not see a way out. And I was like desperate. And he said, well, what do you think it's costing you, Karen? And I'm like, well, I don't think it's costing me anything. I just don't know how to stop. Mm. It was just comical. He didn't even laugh. I'm like, how did you not laugh? Because <laughs> it's so there's so much denial. Yeah. He said, well, would you be willing to make a list of what it's costing you? And I said, well, all right, but it's going to be a short list. And so I actually did it. And at item number 39, I wrote, it's costing me everything. Because as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, I don't believe that I'm worthy of anything good in my life. Right. So I was sabotaging everything. So it was that. And then I also hired this life coach that said to me, if you want anything different in your life, you have to stop the addictive behavior. And I'm like, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, fuck, you know, Captain Genius. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> <laughs> captain obvious right <laughs> Captain obvious right uh, i think that's what i meant to say is captain obvious but no absolutely right so it didn't occur to me mm -hmm. so you wrote all these things down that was obviously a step forward right yeah and is that when you really kind of started realizing like how much it really was costing you that's when I put my stake in the ground and I made a decision with such firm intensity that the universe had to respond. Yeah. That, that was it. I wasn't going to do it anymore. That, yeah. that I was done. And that was that decision was, I'm going to say like July 14th, 2015. And I may have acted out that day already. I don't know. So my sobriety date is July 15th, 2015. So I'm coming up on six years. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. That yeah. is a huge commitment. And, you know, I, I think for someone like me, I've met, I've met a lot of different people who have had some kind of addiction, whether it was drugs or, well, sex is probably a first one, but nonetheless, obviously an, an addiction. And um, a lot of them have struggled, you know, some, some, some didn't quite make it you know, and, and so congratulations, six years, a long time. You know, I think you finally realized how much it was really costing you because you did not truly know until you actually wrote it down. And then however many things there were five, 10, 20, 30, 40, like you rationalize this in your mind. You're like, Holy fuck. Like, this is, this is a lot. This is, I, I can I can be a totally different person if I even if I even focus on a couple of these things, you know, and realize that, you know, that this is what I'm sacrificing for a, for a sex ad addiction, you know. And so, you know, your life started to change, but obviously it wasn't an overnight thing. So was, you know, low self-esteem and depression still a part of this? And, and I want to segue more into, because there were a couple of things, you know, I want to hear your take on is, you know, self-sabotage to self-love. Yeah. Like, and, and I'll let you share on that because uh, I'm a fan of that because I think we as humans do that a lot because it's kind of like, well, it's that victim mindset, I think you know so 
self-sabotage. I mean, you were actually self-sabotaging yourself. <laughs> you were. You just Everywhere. didn't. Everywhere. Sorry? Everywhere. Like it showed up mm -hmm. everywhere. It wasn't just, yeah. you know, like, oh, my personal life's a mess. No, like I wouldn't, I, I was in sales. I refused to sell anything because I didn't think I was worthy of abundance. You know, I was, yeah. my friendships were crappy. I let people use me, you know, like I had friends for years that when I stopped and noticed, they never once asked me a single question about myself. And these are people I was friends with for years not not one question i'm like oh my gosh look at what i've put up with i mean these are and that when i stopped putting any energy into those friendships they dissolved they're gone like they, they just they're gone yeah so it's it's everywhere so it's one of the questions that i ask clients too like what is this way of living i mean it doesn't have to be an addiction even though i believe we're all addicted to something yeah People don't call it that. They don't see it that way. But playing small, for example, or not going for the promotion, not speaking up, that's, you know, addiction to, like you said, victim or or not yeah. being seen or being safe. Right, right. But if you ask them, like, what is that way of living costing you? And you, you have people think about it that way. It really does, like, <laughs> it twists the knife. It gets them to open up and say, oh, my gosh, I didn't even see this because... I, I don't know. I had so much freaking denial. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so really... the self-sabotage part, I'm going to mm -hmm. get back to your question. Yeah. Self-sabotage comes in when we subconsciously don't think we're worthy of anything better than what we have. So we will do whatever we can to stay the same because right. it's safe, right? Even if it's crappy, that's all we know. And we feel safe there. So it's not overnight. You don't go from self-sabotage to self-love. There's some steps in between. And the first one for me was like self-acceptance. Like, okay, I'm an addict. I have these triggers. Here's what they are. Right. And until I do like a complete reset, I cannot hug an attractive man, for example. Back when we could hug people. <laughs> I, can't, right. I can't flirt. I can't right. use my sexuality to get anything. You yeah. know, it's just like these little subtleties. Um, and when I was doing my reset, like I know nothing, like I didn't masturbate, nothing. Uh, yeah, I didn't, none of that. <laughs> so I had to do a complete yeah. reset. And I came to accept that all the things that I thought were unacceptable about me are not unacceptable. Everybody has them. Everybody wants to hide their perceived flaws from other people. But it, what gave me freedom was starting to talk about them and yeah. tell the truth about myself. Like I went to a meeting of all women. Um, it wasn't a sex addict meeting. It was some mm -hmm. other kind of meeting. And I said, um, they said, tell us something you're afraid to tell us. I said, well, okay. I was married. I said, I sleep with married men. And I was scared shitless. I stared at the ground and I just waited for like rocks to fly at me or people to start beating me up. I, nothing happened. So finally I got the courage to look up and I saw love and compassion in the eyes of these women. Yeah. What the heck? And then it opened up the floor. Like these women said, oh my gosh, I had an affair 10 years ago and I've never told anybody. It's been killing me. Oh my gosh. It's, so um... find something that scares the shit out of me to tell someone. I freaking yeah. do a Facebook live about it. 
like, I'm going to get that out. I'm not letting it eat me anymore. Yeah. Uh, you made a very valid point um, that I think us as humans try to avoid because we're afraid of judgment. And that is admittance to admit to this. We're talking about self-sabotage, you know, to self-love, obviously, because um, I was one that was self-sabotaging myself. You know, I thought I'm not good looking enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, like all these, I'm not, I'm not until this is in part why it took 10 years to over overcome this you know, I'm someone who I, I literally my diploma, my high school diploma was handed to me. I didn't even walk a ceremony because I hated every single motherfucker in my class <laughs> with a fucking passion for years because I thought that they owed me something because of what they took away from me. And in what I thought were supposed to be the best years of my life, you know, I was very fit. I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to play football. Like, and I, I would have been fucking amazing at all of them. But I didn't do them because I allowed everybody else to tell me what I should do and that I wasn't worthy. I wasn't fit enough. You know, I was the kid with the big glasses. So when we're in context, you know, back in high school, 1998, you know, 1994 to 1998, you know, and that haunted me for years to self-sabotage, like doing all of that, because it was like almost programmed in my brain until, and mind you, so it's been huge leaps. I'm 41 years old now, and I feel like probably over the last three years, I have made the most significant shift to realizing that fuck yes i am worthy fuck yes i'm smart enough fuck yes i call this and you know what happened <laughs> just like life was more abundant getting into the gym relationship with my second wife when i've known for 11 years my kids now my four-year-old son my two-year-old daughter my business attracting people like fuck this is a new high like this is a good high i can live with this is amazing i can fucking have everything i want you know what's the beauty about it is you're pissing off everybody else who thought that you couldn't have it or that you allowed to infiltrate your mind and so again congratulations to you because i mean you made a huge leap and i feel like you're still making leaps, right? So since we're talking about self-sabotage to, to self-love, because now you're also coaching people how to, uh, how, how to uh, uh, you know, cope with these kinds of situations, right? So it's, you know, depression and sex addiction and low self-esteem and all of that. So do you, as you coach and you work with different people, do you have triggers that like trigger these flashbacks for you? And if so, how do you handle those? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't really, it's really interesting because I'm also, I'm very spiritual. And so I ground myself spiritually before I coach. Okay. Like I'll say a prayer, like get me out of the way and speak through me. And my practice is that if I find myself having an opinion 
about anything while I'm coaching, I will stop. I'll say, just a minute, I need to reground myself because I have an opinion. Like if I get attached to whether somebody thinks what I'm saying is brilliant, that's the ego mind slipping in there like, okay, no, I got this. Listen to me. I'm smart. I'm wise. I've done this. I know what you should do. So anytime I think I know what anybody should do, that's the ego. So I will reground. Um, there's always things that I learn because what comes through me in a coaching session is not of me. It might be meant for that person and I will get something from right. it as well. If that makes sense. Well, here's, okay. So that was an interesting question. Here's another interesting question because of what you said. I believe that opinions are about perspective. Opinions are not facts. So when you said that you'll you'll stop and reground yourself when you share an opinion, which I think it's good, but where this really gets gray, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. Why do you think that if you were to share an opinion, that it might be misconstrued? Because oh, it is not, a perspective. Yeah, it's not that. It's like if I, it's not sharing an opinion. It's if I, Karen, have an opinion, then that is ego. My ego coming in saying, I know what's best for this person. And mm -hmm. spiritually, I believe I don't know what a single person needs on their journey to wherever they're getting to in this lifetime. So that's mm -hmm. why I say that. Now, the reason that I call myself the uncensored self-love coach, I do not hold back. I used to. I used to hear this message for a person coming in, and I'd be like, gosh, that's not nice. I can't say that. They're going to fire me. And I would water it down. And then people would get watered down results. And I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to trust. And I would say these things that sound horrible. And people didn't take it as like I was insulting them, which is what it sounded yeah. like my human ear they'd be like oh my gosh how'd you know that that's exactly what i needed to hear and then they would have the breakthrough and they'd be like oh my gosh that's just what i needed yep. i see it now they could see themselves differently and it, it might be yep. like something doing to sabotage or it might be like right. a gift that they hadn't acknowledged because that's a big yep. thing especially with women we have gifts and talents that we're like, no, I don't, I, I'm not that good. No, I don't have that. Like bullshit. Fucking yeah. own. I mean, you're strong and powerful and so nobody else things. has your gifts. <laughs> you're you're 100% correct. 100% correct. Especially about women. It's, it's in fact, something I've been trying to dwell into my wife's head because I'm like, you're way fucking smarter than that. Like stop, you know, undervaluing yourself. Because I think women, it's why the entrepreneurial community has been predominantly a male-driven era for fucking ages, is be, is largely because well, we're not good enough. Fuck Harry, good enough. Go out there and do it. So there's something I wanted to say as you were talking about, oh, if I say that to a client, they're going to fucking fire me, right? Something a client of mine told me last year that I think you need to know because I don't know if you're still in this mindset. So they said, Ivan, don't tell us what what we want to hear. Tell us what we need to hear. Yeah, that's truth. Because if you tell us what we want to hear, you're, you're curbing my ego. So what you were saying is, and this is my take on this. This is why, in part, you know, real and raw and unfiltered and uncensored 
is because I used to give a shit about what people think. It's like, no, that's not who I am because I need to express myself and people will either like me or dislike me. So when you coach people, it's like, don't tell clients what they want to hear. Tell them what they fucking need to hear. Because the reason they hired you in the first place is because they need to hear something. They need to resolve something. But I think you made a very valid point because you, you were you were or you still are kind of afraid or holding back because yeah. that was before. That's why now I've rebranded as the uncensored self-love coach. So you're going to okay. get it. I am going to stand for you. Whether you yell at me, whether you try to fire me, whether you do fire me, I don't give a shit. I am completely unattached yeah. because we all have blind spots. And the reason you're going to work with a coach is to show them to you, to mirror them right. back. To you. Like, okay, what do you see? <laughs> and to ask you the right questions so you see them for yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I had added personal development as an area um, to the podcast not too long ago. And it was in part because everything that, you know, we talked about is about how you feel and your mindset. Your mindset is everything. You know, if you think the grass is red, but it's really green, you know, well, that's your opinion. <laughs> maybe you think maybe it's red because you like to think that it's red, right? And in fact, I've done an entire episode about realities that we live technically in three different realities. So Karen's reality, my reality, the reality of the world that we actually live in. That, that's that's the reality of it. But it's really interesting. You said that you rebranded yourself as the uncensored coach, which I absolutely fucking love, because like like you like you said, I think people need someone. They look for someone to stand by them because it's validity. It's just as human beings, we, we like to know that there's someone in our corner. We're not alone. There's someone that supports us. If you ever, as a human being, and I've met some human beings that are just so bold and fierce and self-confident that they just don't give a fuck about what the world thinks about them. And I'm very much in, in, in the same boat. It took me years to get to that. It's like, you're unstoppable. You're literally unfucking stoppable Now go get what you want. Go do what you want. Does it make you happy? Does it give you fulfillment? Do you want to build a business? Do you want to make more money? Do you want a better relationship? Who's fucking stopping you? You don't need anybody. You don't need anything. And so what you said is, I love the fact that you rebranded yourself to the uncensored because let's face it, especially in entrepreneurship is that there's a lot of people say there's something, but they're really not that because they're holding back. Or they're afraid, like you said, in your case, is afraid to be, like you said, I don't give a shit if you fire me, but I'll tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, you know? And then you're going to turn around, whether it's now or sometime or years later. And I've seen that actually with people before that I've talked to years ago. And they'll say, Ivan, you, you were right about that. Fuck yeah, I was right. You just don't <laughs> want to believe it. Like, it's just like, you know, I, I'm one of those people that like, I like to say, I hate to say I told you so, but I hate to say I, fuck, I fucking told you so. And people have a hard time grasping yeah. that. For me, I, in meditation one day, I got, you are here to be a loving interruption to people's bullshit stories that they're running yeah. in their head. 
they're getting people to co-sign them all the time like oh listen to my victim story and i'll just stop people i just stick my hand on like no you've told that story enough let's write a new story that's bullshit. that's not what who you are that's not why you're here yeah you need to, like transmute that shit. let's create something better <laughs> let's, let's create some happiness let's live your purpose yeah i love that and um you know one thing that as we round out the episode because we could probably talk endlessly <laughs> about this because i'm such a huge fan i've 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 become a much bigger proponent for you know, emotions and feelings and mindset and personal development, because after really embracing it more and more, I'm, I'm not even nowhere where I want to be, but the more I've I embraced, I realized how much it impacts our world individually. And the more you work at it, you know, the, the happier you will be, you know, the more fulfillment you're going to find, the more happiness you're going to, you're going to find. Now, I think this might sound cliche, but your experience with sex addiction and, and depression and chain of events that happened in your life, I, I think that were a test. I think they were. They were actually a test in part of self-worth, which you always been worthy. It's just, I think in part you needed to, to prove it to yourself. It's like a post that I put out on my Facebook. You know, it's like when I train on leg day, which I despise, you know, I don't actually do much leg day, but I train, train like it's the fucking Olympics. It's Ivan's Olympiad. It's me versus me. How quickly can I plateau? And if I do, do I feel happy about what I did? Me, not anybody else. Me. And I think that's the key message here is, is that people need to realize that you're self-worthy. You, ha you have self-esteem. You are confident. And you shouldn't listen to anyone else or the world tell you otherwise, because they're stealing that away from you. And I think that that big, you know, the sex addiction and everything that happened to you, it was a test. It was. And I'm glad now six years sober. Congratulations again on that. You know, I, I, I think your journey has just begun in impacting other people and helping other people understand using that adversity and those chain of events that you went through early in life as an example. So I want to thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Absolutely enjoyed the conversation, but before we sign off, there's two things that I want to ask you. The first thing is if you can think back through all your experiences with everything that has happened, was there a key lesson? that you learned that you've held on to? That's my first question. Okay. Yeah, I love that. The, the big lesson for me is it's a constant state of remembering the truth of who I am. So like, I believe I am exactly as I was created. I am perfect and precious just the way I am. And I cannot do it wrong. And knowing that everything that I do will be used for me and for my growth, it gives me like so much grace, like, oh, I can just breathe. Like, okay, I can't do it wrong. Right. That means like there are no mistakes, right? Like I, everything I did was not a mistake. And I had a moment like that, like fairly recently where I was doing a walking meditation 
where I realized I had my life, my entire life flashed before my eyes and I saw every single event that's led up to where I am now. And I'm like, oh, I get it. That's why that happened. And my heart physically expanded and I filled with this love of myself. Yeah. Like I never knew was possible. So just know that if somebody like me, who's done what I've done, can get yeah. to that point, so can you. Oh, I love that. And actually, you just confirmed those flashbacks <laughs> on your recent walk that I asked about earlier. You know, that um, so that's that, that's amazing. You know, and I, I the only thing I want to add to that is this. I, I think we need to experience, you know, we need to experience to be able to see the big picture. Because that's exactly what you saw is you saw the big picture and you were like, oh, that's why this happened. <laughs> right. So suddenly you had this sense of almost instant gratification of why everything happened, the way it happened that led you up to what you're doing today. And and then thank you in, in, in sharing that. Uh, and the last question, the second question I want to ask you is how can people connect with you online? What's the best way? you know, to reach out to you. Oh, thanks. I'm really pretty active on Facebook. You can look me up Karen Seltz. I do most things on my personal page. My website is happinessguru.net. Okay. I do buy the URL for uncensored self-love coach, but I haven't <laughs> switched it over yet. But those are the main ways. Yeah, those are the best ways. Okay, awesome. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for being vulnerable. I'm a huge fan for that. And congratulations on your sobriety. Huge step forward for you. And uh, I look forward to uh, staying in touch. Thanks again. Thank you, Ivan. This has been so great. I love having real conversations with people that are willing to be vulnerable. So thank you for the opportunity and for sharing yourself. <laughs>